You're invited to take a vacation from everybody else's vacation to a place where you can explore cypress swamps and magical gardens and see a 65-foot waterfall that once powered an old mill that you can walk through today. Or just float along the cool, rushing waters of an old-fashioned swimming hole. See the places and plan your journey at visitmississippi.org slash outdoor adventure. Mississippi. Wanderers welcome. On another exciting entry of Animation Deliberation, we have experienced both the low tides and the high tides of the Atlantean arc of Young Justice Season 4, a.k.a. Phantoms. We are going to be discussing that final episode of that arc, Episode 17, appropriately titled Leviathan Awakens. We will get right into that after some ads we have no say over whatsoever. At Solomon Brothers Jewelers, their customers always come first. They're a family business that has been setting the standard of customer care for over 30 years. They have thousands of in-stock options for wedding bands, engagement rings, and loose diamonds, and can promise the lowest prices at the highest quality. A diamond marks a new chapter in your life. Trust Solomon Brothers experts with commemorating the most precious moments in your life. Visit SolomonBrothers.com today to begin making memories. Sing along if you know the words. A one, two, three, it's time for animation, deliberation, a conversation and a celebration of a favorite action animated series, yeah. Yeah. All right, folks, welcome back to Animation Deliberation, the podcast that takes action animation and cartoons seriously, but not too seriously. I am your host, Jay Scotty St. Clair, and I am joined by the man on the vocals there, Mr. Andrew Rogers. Welcome back, sir. How are you? Uh, I am fantastic, just as all of this uh, Aquaman crew is, you know, just swimming through life. <laughs> well said, well said. Yeah, I find myself this week, um, it's a little warm here in the Bay Area, warmer than we're accustomed to. So it's definitely one of those weeks where I wish I could be spending the majority of my time in the water. It'd be nice if I had a, a set of gills and uh, could enjoy the nice, cool depths. But I'm not in the depths when it comes <laughs> to my reception for this episode. Um, so with that in mind, let's bring back one of my favorite segments. Andrew, on a scale from yeah to yeah, how do you feel about episode 17, Leviathan Awakes? Uh, you know, I, I think I'm going to stick right in the middle here and just give it a yeah. Okay, interesting. Yeah. interesting. You know, I'm, I'm not too high. I'm not too low. It was a really good episode. I just don't know if it was actually the best of the four or my favorite mm. of the four necessarily. Okay. So. Yeah, I, I think it was good, but I want to know what your thoughts are. You said you weren't in the depths. Where would you, uh, yeah, this guy? I've got a resounding, yeah, for this for this week. I think this was one of my favorite episodes of the season. It might be one of my favorite episodes of Young Justice, period. Um, without getting super spoiler about it, I just really appreciated how they, I, I appreciated the storytelling behind it and the way they chose to show us the scenes and the order that they did. Um, and really just give us solid answers to all these questions for this arc and not deviate away from that too much. In the previous episodes, we kind of had a lot going on between, you know, the, the different players in these various stories. But I felt like we spent large portions of time with, you know, 
certain characters and certain scenes until those came to their proper fruition and it just really made it an impactful episode for me. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I feel like not only was it an impactful episode for this arc, it felt really impactful for the season as a whole. Mm. It kind of in that first half, they were very distinct arcs. It didn't feel like they were going to have too much of a ripple. This feels really important for the remainder of what's going to happen for this last bit of Young Justice. Oh, certainly. Yeah, wholeheartedly agree with that. Um, now, before we get into the nitty gritty of the episode, um, speaking of answers to questions, one of the questions we had on our previous recording was this this new title for our Arthur Curry Aquaman being referred to as Onyx Orin. And while this episode did give us a definitive answer for that, I do want to give credit to one of our longtime listeners and uh, a, a name most people will probably recognize at this point, uh, but Mr. TJ Stafford actually provided us that answer in the form of some feedback, which you have queued up, Andrew, correct? That is correct. From the lovely TJ Stafford. He wrote this in, it was Thursday, March 31st, so last Thursday, I believe, Mm. after we had done our recording and stuff to kind of give more answers to the question we had. He said, it has always been my understanding that Orin is Aquaman's Atlantean name, whereas Arthur Curry is his surface name. He goes by both names depending on where he is and who he's interacting with. As for Anax, just based on the context clues, I'm guessing it is Atlantean word for king or sire. It seems like a more important title that he actually carries. And Right, right. Yeah, I, I mean, he's not wrong, as we have found out in this episode. <laughs> Correct. Yeah, I don't know if we got the official confirmation that Warren is his Atlantean name, but it seems to make all the sense in the world. I doubt it's anything other than that. But then, yeah, it seems like Onyx is in particular the high king of Atlantis. So we had a, that title get exchanged a few times within this episode to get that confirmation. But um, I guess the final thing I want to cover before we really get spoilery on the episode um, is that Zuhair is still missing this week. We are definitely missing him. But, you know, it was his turn to take up the helmet of fate and serve as Nebu's avatar. So he is uh, not with us this week, but hopefully he can rejoin us soon. It is of the highest honor that he doesn't get to be here just for that. I I must say I'm a little jealous as much as it seems like there's a lot of pressure on him with that. (laughs) Well, if he's lucky, he gets to spend a little time with Zatanna. That's probably why he said yes in the first place. (laughs) (laughs) Correct, correct. All right. Um, So, yeah, as as I kind of mentioned, I really felt like this was one of the most solid episodes of Young Justice we've gotten. Uh, maybe ever, but in a, in a really long time for me. And um, I really appreciate how we just spent the majority of the episode under under the sea with the Atlanteans and just kind of picked up right where we left off. We did, you know, open the episode with the cloned Orm kind of being questioned or almost kind of consoled by his brother, Orin, and uh, McGann in her lovely mermaid form. I just got to say the the compassion that they shown for this cloned Orm is just so in keeping with the series and just the continuity, the fact that they've dealt with clones in the past, like the various um, iterations of Roy Harper and whatnot. And they realize that this, this clone is a unique individual. And though he has had his memories tampered with and whatnot, they understand that his crimes are not his own. And, just the way they broach that subject and tell him, look, when you're ready to open up your mind and actually get these answers and face the truth, 
we're here for you. And it's just like, to me, that's what makes our heroes the heroes that they are, is that empathy and that compassion for someone who, you know, has nothing but disdain and animosity for them. Yeah, you bring up a really good point there, because you said everything I would have said in that moment, that they're very, very compassionate. And the whole time I was surprised by it, actually. But knowing that cloning is commonplace in this world, it does make some sense. You know, they have this experience, they know not to hold it against him. And Mm -hmm. I loved that he was just as amazed as audience members got to be like, what do you mean you're letting me free? My brother did, or not my brother, my previous clone self did all these terrible things to you and your people. And to have King Oren say, no, that's not you. That was someone prior to you. You are free to go. The slate is clean. And then on top of that, to want to give this person a chance to possibly be his brother or be even just a better version. Mm. I kind of hope this character sticks around and that when we get more of Atlantis in the future, we see a reformed Ocean Master that is a totally different person that is by the previous king's side. Is he still Mm. the king? Well, she's the king. I, I don't know how to refer to him at this point because... They did a really good job of keeping the title the same, whether it was male or female, which I really right. liked. But also now, how do you refer to previous King Orm? Yeah, right. <laughs> um, I don't know if it works like presidents in the United States. He's the honorable Orin or, or what well, have you. We, but uh, We do also get to go back to calling him Aquaman. True, true. Yeah. And by the end of the episode, we had three Aquaman. That jab made me so happy. They're like, well, we we got four Green Lantern. We have two Flash. At this point, we've had two Kid Flash. What's three Aquaman? You know, not everyone can be Batman's team that just decides we're all going to pick different birds. Right, right, right. Yeah, that was a totally great acknowledgement to the the wider DC universe, how this these titles, these legacy titles just really do get uh, thrown around quite a bit. And I, it's, I, to my knowledge, yeah, um, I'm not as versed in the comic books as I would like to be, but I don't know if if Lagan actually became Aquaman in the comics. But uh, if he did, it's great homage there. If not, it's just great growth and development for the character because he was not my favorite character in season two. He just kind of seemed like a romantic foil. I thought we got great growth and development for Lagan coming off of season two, like I spoke how we we pretty much picked up where we left off with the clone dorm, but the same can be said for our quartet of Atlantean heroes that were exploring the, the Atlantean ruins there in search of Arian's crown. And, you know, they always have those little location and date placards that I never do a very good job of paying attention to. So the real <laughs> revelation to me for how much time had passed was like the scruff on both wind and Aquaman called Aram. But Lagan starts to complain about how long it's taking and he's concerned for you know his his newborn child that could be due any day or may have already been born he gets chastised by aquaman and then you know wind kind of comes alongside him and says don't take it too personally you know he's he's got a lot going on and he still hasn't really had a chance to mourn for connor and that's where lagan really got to like have a great moment for growth for me where he's like you know I never really liked Connor. I still kind of had grudges against him. And, you know, he was involved in that romantic triangle um, in season two. But to acknowledge, you know, his shortcomings there and, and that he wished he could have made amends, I thought did a lot for the character of Lagan. 
oh yeah, he did so many things to redeem himself. And I kind of was hoping that would be the case when we found out he was in a new, very loving relationship mm. and was married to the uh, others in Atlantis. I was hoping for some growth and it was just a really great way to put it together of he didn't pin it back on Calder. He said, you know, I get where he's coming from. I have these feelings and it was nice. And also is the first of kind of many times in this episode you and I were really right last week in what mm. we talked about out of those first three in what we hoped to see coming in how things were working. Mm. And this was one of them that we got to move through a little bit of Calder's grief. And it was the first point I, I thought to myself, okay, I hope this will be his moment to step back. If they're all right. talking about it at this length, I really hope this is his moment. So it was nice to get that come full circle throughout this episode. It wasn't just a throwaway line of, oh, he's busy. No, it was a, this is a meaningful, he knows he's busy. He's just burying it deep down and it's not going to blow up because he's, you know, taking care of himself and those around him. Yeah. And I'm really happy to see it go that way because, you know, Calder has, has gone through mo so much and suffered so much, but it's, it's just great to have this character that is such a stalwart composed character that even though, you know, he was being criticized for chastising, like I never thought, you know, his chastising was all that unjustified. Like Lagan did not have to volunteer for that mission. And yeah, it's, it's really nice to see him be able to take the break that everyone's encouraging him to, to take without actually breaking. So as much as we thought we were going to have three Aquaman, it seems like there's only going to be two Aquaman, at least for the time being, but I'm sure it, it's only a matter of time before, Calderon comes back because it seems like he's doing everything that he should be doing. We have the episode close with him, you know, attending therapy. I, I believe it was um, Black Canary there that was standing with him at the memorial, right? Yes. I don't think okay. she ever said anything, but that was her usual look. I think it had mm. the blonde hair like she has. And I can't imagine them talking to anyone else in mm. terms of counsel like that. Sure. And I don't even necessarily know if he is putting up the mantle of Aquaman so much as just taking a step back from the league and saying, I know my place, I know my time, because it's one of the cool things. They have enough members in the league at this point that they don't all have to be fully active all the time. True. And then on top of that, you have the outsiders. On top of that, you have the team. And on top of that, you have the independent heroes. Like, I believe Dick Grayson at this point is not a part of anything. He's just hmm. there. Um, unless yeah. he rejoined the league or the team after last season. I can't remember. But either way, there's so many heroes out there that he probably feels like he can take the time off, which is really nice uh, coming out of all of this. Yeah, he, he totally deserves it. But... Yeah. Um, before we pivot away from this, the caverns that they had going on there. Yeah, sure. I wanted to talk a little bit about the animation decisions that they made in this episode oh we are totally on the same page okay. I'm, I'm glad what you got are you in a positive or a negative with the decisions made i'm i was going to focus on positives i am also in the positive okay awesome it, it took me aback at first the so what we are referring to i'm guessing is the same but for everyone out there listening the fish in the entirety of that underwater cavern and the large crab and large leviathan creature at the end, they were all yes. done in a very specific painterly style. Correct. Wherein they did not move much at all outside of actually shifting almost as though they had a cutout of the crab and just moving it up and down. Right. And 
I mean, it's a great thing because it's saving these animators heavy work in having to throw all of this pencil mileage down on the paper. I actually found out, uh, I listened to an interview, the final season of Attack on Titan, they have all of the Titans as CG characters. Hmm. The reason they did that is to save the budget because they didn't want to have to hand animate all of these Titans all over the screen all the time. And instead they were able to put that time and money into the characters. If not, they wouldn't have had the money. I think this is an ingenious way to do the same thing of save the money to animate these amazing character moments that we've had, Mm -hmm. but instead just do these monstrous creatures as these simplified things. And the reason I started to love it, you know, it took me a minute to adjust it sure. reminded me of watching a Scooby-Doo cartoon oh. back in the day. The way that wow, they would okay. always have those backgrounds that are fully painted. And you knew what door was going to open because that was the only part that they hand drew out. Sure. And they had all these moments that it, it just harkened back to the cartoons of old and kind of made me feel at home. But at no point were the drawings bad. They were beautifully no, done. No. Yeah. And I, I just wanted to call attention to it was a definitely a conscious decision on their part. But I think they mm. used it in a beautiful way that it didn't take too much away from any of the scenes. Yeah, that, very well said, and I agree wholeheartedly. I didn't really make the connections to, to Scooby-Doo and old-school animation, but I'm so glad you did. But yeah, I, I'm exactly on the same page to you. It, it really stood out to me the way they decided to animate both the crab and the Leviathan shark-like creature there. But um, my big takeaway is that that painterly style that they were done in the backgrounds often have so much more detail than our characters themselves. Our characters are a little more simplified. They're they're excellently drawn with a, with a lot of detail themselves and capable of a lot of action. But doing those monsters in that kind of like background style, like I thought really helped sell on the scale of them, that they were almost like these mountainous types of creatures that were almost indistinguishable from these, these large cavernous walls and whatnot. And in addition to just... The, the level of detail there. I really liked the bioluminescence and the bioelectricity, the way it was animated in this episode, just spending so much time in the dark. I felt it looked great on the characters themselves when they were lighting up on the various, you know, I, I'm still not clear if they're tattoos or, or what they are um, that light up when they use magic. I believe we confirmed early on they were tattoos, but I could okay. be wrong. Uh, okay. Yeah. But no, you were totally correct. It was, it was all so well done that, I, I wasn't scared of any of it. Like this show <laughs> knew what they were doing. They did it well as much as it, like I said, it took me aback. Once it, once I got used to it and realized why they were doing it, you're totally right. Mm. It made them seem larger than life because the minute they got close to the Leviathan and then you suddenly had our characters for scale, mm-hmm. you realized exactly how big it was supposed to be. And I do wonder if they had tried to do it in the regular animation, if it would have sold it quite as well. Yeah, that's a good thought. I, I, I don't think so. I, I really think it worked on all fronts, and I'm glad they chose to go that direction for all the reasons we brought up in addition to um, what you mentioned about saving the budget because it seems like it's it's really been invested in the area that it needs to be and if whether or not it's you know compensating the animators, compensating the, the voice actors and, and the writers. And speaking of writers, lest I forget, you pointed oh, out a yeah. very interesting aspect about the, the writer of this episode. Yeah, so while I was kind of getting ready with all of our information, it turns out that Kari Payton, the voice of Calderon himself, was the writer credit for this episode, and I actually did a little digging quick. This is his first ever writing credit on Young wow. Justice. 
Wow. So I don't know if he's written anything outside of this, but this is the first time he's gotten the chance on Young Justice, and I think he did a great job, personally. Yeah, I give him major kudos. Again, this is one of my favorite episodes of Young Justice, period. So to know that it's it's someone that's been with the uh, excuse me been with the series from the very beginning, always delivering and and giving these captivating performances, it shows just what a well rounded uh, creative person he is, and it's just awesome that they have that level of talent attached to the show. Yeah, I think he will probably go down in history as one of the great comic performers of a time he has amazing Mm -hmm. voice acting but it feels like he cares about aquaman or calder aquaman in the same way that we talk about the great comic actors of our time you know hugh jackman loved wolverine Mm -hmm. Uh, chris Mm -hmm. hemsworth loves thor i have to wonder does he really care about aquaman in that same capacity because i've seen a couple interviews about this show with him Mm. and he's just always over the moon with whatever they have going on so I, I think it's a great thing to have him even further in and let him write what was going to happen with this character because it felt natural. Oh, totally, totally. Yeah, I have to imagine he has that same level of, of care and passion for the character because the the voice acting across the board for this show is is really solid and really impressive, but he just continues to be a standout. I don't know if many people really embody a role the same way that he does. So, Oh, for sure. Yeah. Spinning back to, you know, the ongoings in Atlantis or Poseidonus, what have you. Actually, I, I guess we spent most of the episode in, in Zebel in particular here because of the rebellion that was taking place in the wake of our puppet Arian as the savior of Atlantis. We did get confirmation of a, a lot of the speculation that we had in our previous recording. And I think even TJ, with some of his previous feedback, mentioned the fact that, you know, this Arian might be a clone, but... I did not anticipate having the actual original Orm be the one that was in control of him. And it just kind of threw me for a loop. I just, I couldn't help but kind of have a little bit of a laugh when I imagined like what happened after he was beheaded by Lady Shiva. Did she like take his head and put it in one of those jars like a la Futurama um, <laughs> until they could transfer his brain or his, his memories? Yeah. Well, um, forgive me for forgetting the character's name. What is the one telepath that has his exposed brain? Oh, it's Simon with a PS. Not Simon. Simon's oh. the gorilla, I believe. No, no, no. Uh, the gorilla is like something beast, like beast of man or man beast or something like that. I'm, I'm hating that I, I can't recall that one off the top of my head, but I'm fairly certain Simon is the one that McGann has gone up against like numerous times with the exposed brain exposed brain yes that is simon okay i had them backwards oh no worries it might be the ultra humanoid human oh that's that's i think you're right yes correct yeah um so anyhow he had a brain in a jar when they actually let him out and they first said release ocean master and that was kind of our confirmation that this is ocean master coming out looking like arian he literally had a box with a brain in it so i have to wonder if he was able to telepathically do some link to transfer it into the body Mm. but i do have this question was it planned did orm know that he was going to die at the hands of Lady Shiva or was he blindsided and then they just threw his head in another body and trusted that it was Vandal Savage's grand plan the whole time? My takeaway, and it's this is just you know speculation, I think those are great questions, but I would lean towards the fact that he did not know that it was going to happen, that he was you know 
he fell out of the graces of the light and that was his punishment and his newfound loyalty is really born out of, out of the fact of wanting to get back in those good graces. And, you know, uh, as, as fully rounded and fleshed out as a lot of these characters are, Ocean Master has never been one of those characters that has a ton going on outside of revenge and wanting to be the king of Atlantis. So with what you mentioned before, hopefully there's a chance for redemption and um, more ways than one for the, the new cloned Orm. Uh, but yeah, that that was my takeaway. I just thought, you know, after having been quote unquote killed, it was like this was his second chance and he was going to do it right this time in terms of the light's biddings anyway. Yeah. And not to pat myself on the back too much, but this is another moment that I was, I kind of alluded to. We got a bunch of things right last week mm. that apparently the magic does go with the body. Because he said, all right, you're a clone of the Aryan's body. So now the magic is with you. You can't use the trident anymore, which I was theorizing was kind of the source of his power. So it's kind of cool to get all of that said in a way that, hey, this makes sense. But also uh, coming back to Project Threnos was important, apparently. Uh, And it was Warworld that he was saying all of those things about. So it was just a bunch of nice confirmations on my part. I I'm totally. sure no one else really cared as much, but I was like, hey, no, wow, no. <laughs> I got all this. This is kind of cool. But yeah, no, Project Threnos being not a long secret, I'm actually happier mm. about instead of having to wait two seasons to find out what this was. Agreed. It was nice to know, oh, this is what it was. It was a plan. Can't tell you why it was called Threnos, but it was basically if we can get the ocean under our control, like Vandal Savage said to uh, Dr. Fate at the end, we would have had two-thirds of the earth in peace because the ocean makes up two-thirds of the earth i wonder if it was maybe called project threnos because given vandal savage's um, longevity maybe he was privy to the prophecy that you know mentioned the three will rise and maybe he was just taking advantage of that that Um, could that definitely makes a lot of sense mm -hmm. yeah i i just don't know what the the gnos being that that feels like there's some greek or latin base to it true at yeah. the end of the word but it just sounds cooler than project three there is nothing that comes up when i google this right now so it's not mm. like a comic callback because a lot of okay. them usually are sure this is not coming up at all from what i can hmm. see so that's kind of cool that they're doing things in a way that may have already happened with comic influence, but nothing is set in stone. They are writing this themselves. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, That's, that's uh, quite a, quite a testament again to the creative talent behind the show that the, you know, they always do a great job of taking the comics as inspiration, but definitely doing their own thing. So whether, you know, your exposure to the DC universe is more tertiary or cursory or you're well-versed in the comics, you're definitely coming away with a lot because this show just continues to be the little engine that could like, and I'm really optimistic that we'll get that season five because it's all about the fan fandom and the fervent um, fans that are behind this, keeping it going. Um, I did want to, you know, talking about Orm and the, and the false Aryan and whatnot, not only does it just kind of showcase, we knew how cold Vandal Savage was, but the fact that he could see his resurrected son that he did so dirty and just continued to use him still and see him as nothing but a tool. The demise of Orm when he <laughs> put on the crown of Arian 
took me right back to Raiders of the Lost Ark. Like it was so grotesque. It made me yes. think of the Nazis melting and burning up when they, when they opened the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant spoilers for a, a movie from the eighties, but if you haven't <laughs> seen it, shame on you. <laughs> yeah. Go watch that movie after you're done with the episode of young justice yeah. in this podcast, you're doing right. yourself a favor. <laughs> yes. Yes. Totally. Totally. So I just had a thought as you were talking about the, fall of the original Aryan under Vandal Savage. Mm. I And this literally just came to mind. That body they found trapped under the head of Vandal Savage that was just a skeleton in the bottom. I wonder if that's the original Aryan. Because I feel like we saw him getting crushed in the rubble and the statues in the earlier episodes when they had the flashback with Clarion. Yep. Because that now that I'm thinking about it, that's just a shoehorned in. Huh, I wonder who that body belongs to. Right. Is that a little nod for us to know that that was actually the body of Arian? Yeah, I think that's exactly what it is. And that's how I took it. I do have very distinct memories of watching that that head fall on Arian. And uh, yeah, the line of dialogue right after that, I think it was uh, Delphis, 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 who, who says, yeah, Dolphin. I wonder who. Yeah, Dolphin. Yeah, right. <laughs> Well, I, I believe who, her hero name is Dolphin before right, I, right. anyone thinks I'm just not pronouncing it right. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah, I remember her hero name was Dolphin. <laughs> um, yeah, she says, you know, I wonder who he or she was. And then immediately after that, I can't remember. I think it was Calderam says there was, there's very, or maybe Wind, like one of the two, say there is very strong and ancient magic here. So that was just kind of confirmation for me that that was Oren's corpse. Well, that's really cool. I, yeah, I kind of yeah. didn't catch that until I was just reflecting back. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely great attention to detail and great continuity for those eagle-eyed, eagle-eyed viewers. Yeah. So we talked about Doctor Fate. Was that uh, thirteen under the helm? Ooh, you know, it, it possibly could have been, but I just, I for whatever reason, I assumed it was Zatanna. I I wasn't totally sure because, correct me if I'm wrong. And this is when we need Zuhair here to correct this one. Does yeah, Zatanna sure. have black hair? I believe so. Because yes. I believe this Doctor Fate had brown hair, which okay. makes me think that it was thirteen then. And she was the first one we saw put on the helm. No, it was um, Khalid or Khalid, Khalid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Khalid. I believe he was the first one, so it's at least been a week, I would get, or no, it's been multiple weeks, as we know from the timeline, so that would make oh, sense that there's been a rotation of who has the helm up. You are correct. It was, uh, I looked up the voice credits, and it was Lauren Tom as 13, so again, that's that's why we keep you around. You, you've got that, <laughs> that attention to detail that I lack sometimes, so yeah, great question and great call out, yeah. All right, cool. No, that was just one of those. I thought it was a nice touch to have someone different under the helm and make us yeah, kind of ask this question every time we see who Dr. Fate is. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yep. With uh, Kevin Michael Richardson returning as the voice of Nebu, always a pleasure to hear that uh, resonance that he brings. But aside from that, I just really got some glee out of seeing, you know, Vandal Savage have things not go his way. And it's like, hey, you might have had an in with the the chaos lords for a long time and you know uh nebu may be one of your progeny but uh from here on out the lords of order are doing things the way they want to so 
Yeah, I will say, though, there's a bit of a question of it seems like they took their power back. So there's mm. one less power currently on Earth now that True. the crown no longer holds any power in it. I wonder if that's going to have some implication of either the Lords of Order are going to have less power or are mm. we going to see a new power born at some point? Mm. That is a very good question that I had not really considered. I obviously noticed when the the power left the helmet and went back to the constellation that is the scales of chaos and order there. But yeah, I imagine given their tendency to, you know, they are kind of, they don't actively interfere with the ongoings and just try to keep a balance, but just given how much they have inadvertently or, you know, a few steps removed, been participants and been like granters of power and whatnot. I, I imagine that power will have to come back in in some fashion, whether or not it's a new item, tool, weapon, or maybe even a, a new character. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah, I. That's one of the biggest gaps in my comic or other media knowledge. We don't really see the Lords of Order and Chaos talked about all that much in like the younger TV shows that they make in like Teen Titans and stuff. Sure. So it's just a big gap that I feel like the opportunities are endless. So any character, any weapon, any anything that they do is an option. And mm. you know, I'm excited to keep it just in the back of my mind as something possible. Yeah, certainly, certainly. And uh, I guess on the subject of, you know, Vandal Savage's schemes not really going the way he wanted to, as much as he was trying to co-opt that prophecy for his own purposes, the prophecy ended up coming to fruition in one way or another. You know, we had a lot of the politicking in that that first episode back, episode 14. But this is where it really came to a head. We didn't spend a ton of time, you know, with the various delegates and whatnot. But the scenes that we got were very impactful. And it was one of those situations where it was like, how did I not see it coming? It just kind of makes sense. You've got King Narius of Zebel. You've got Arthur Curry, um, Orin, and uh, who was the other person that was really in her corner? Mara's corner. I mean, I think everyone was yeah, in. It just corner. makes sense. Like, my my favorite part of that scene was Nanue King Shark not yes. wanting anyone, but the minute they were like, "Queen Mara is a good fit. How could you disagree?" He's like, "Yeah, I've always liked her. I, I yeah. think it's true." Like that was cool that he, he didn't even want to argue, and he wanted to argue everything. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. 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 It was definitely so in our faces of, "Hey, there's a prophecy about these three. It could mm. have been any of the three, but they pointed us so far in the direction of it has to be Arian right. that I forgot to look at the fact that it could have been any of the three of them is the rightful king. Yeah. And Aquaman's gotten a lot of crap lately with the the ongoing jokes that we've mentioned both on Harley Quinn and Peacemaker. But I felt like, again, as much as this episode was was great for Calderam, was great for Lagan, was great for Mera. Oren had some really great moments as well. Not only the compassion that he showed for his cloned brother, but the fact that when the delegates came to a vote, he said, I'm not a dictator. I am I am just a king. I am here for the people. If this is what they want, this is what we're going to do. And then when it came time, I think he was the one that suggested Mera. It was his idea. And he's just wholeheartedly like willing to relinquish this, this power. And I mean, it is a burden in, in some ways. It frees him up to be able to be more of a father as well as rejoin his friends at the justice league. But it's just, yeah, it really did a lot to endear me even more to the character of, of Oren Arthur Curry Aquaman. 
Yeah, DC has their hands full with making better versions of the characters than Young Justice has done. Because yeah. this version of Batman, amazing. This sure. version of Superman, without a doubt, my favorite that we've seen. Right. And this version of Aquaman also now is without a doubt the best version that they've made. He's compassionate, he's caring, he's intelligent. Like there's so yep. many things going for these characters because of the fantastic writing. So you'll have to see what they bring to the live action space that can compete with this. But as of right <laughs> now, this Aquaman is bar none one of the best that we've seen. Certainly, certainly. Uh, did you have anything else you want to bring up about the ongoings under the sea in this episode because we did spend the majority of the episode under the sea with a few flashes to what was going on with Vandal Savage and then of course the end scene that I, I want to you know discuss in detail no I have everything said that I wanted to say we've hit all the amazing points and all cool. of my little exclamations uh, oh besides I had the random question of what are they eating if they were in that cave for weeks on end. Oh, right. <laughs> they didn't have any packs with them that I could see. They didn't have any like rations or I guess maybe eating fish, but how many fish could be in this cave? Uh, it, it's a random plot point that I just jotted down because I was like, what? No, they usually explain everything in the show. I need all the answers. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually a really good question. It just had me kind of thinking like maybe Atlanteans have like some like, maybe like baleen teeth in the back of their throat and they can take in plankton and krill because I don't know what else would exist down there. Wow. You just gave a great like oceanology biology lesson in that moment. <laughs> I had no idea what those things were called with whales. That's awesome. Uh, well, I, I spent some time in, in Monterey and they've got the Monterey Bay Aquarium there. So I made a few visits there and I've, I have always been fascinated with the, with the ocean and especially like the deep sea, the things that it's difficult for us as human beings with our, you know, squishy bodies that can't handle that pressure, you know, how modern technology has allowed us to learn more and more about the ocean. So yeah, it's it's yeah. definitely cool stuff. I will say, this is my last point on the yeah. ocean side of things. That mm. was a really cool moment. Um, as you talk about humans not being able to necessarily hand the, handle the depths of the ocean was the little monologue we got out of Calder at the end, talking mm. about his first time going up above the water, mm. that he was scared. He didn't know oh. how it was going to go and taking those first steps and his gills dried out and his lungs suddenly for the first time filled with air. Yeah, You kind of forget that they are a totally different being that despite having lungs, they're not using them the entire time that they're underwater. It was just kind of a cool insight mm. as well as they panned across all of the characters that we loved in that moment of, you know, everyone with their loved ones. We got to see that uh, Lagan had his baby or mm -hmm. the, the family had their baby because he didn't birth the baby. But yeah, <laughs> yeah that, it, it was just a nice, it was a bow on top of everything. For sure. Right there at the end. I, I really enjoyed that little monologue he had. Yeah, likewise. And I appreciate you calling that out because, you know, Calder has this manner of speaking that's very, um, it's almost poetic in a way how straightforward he is. But that, yeah, that line in particular about his lungs expanding really did stick out to me as well and was um, beautiful language. Just uh, the imagery was was all there, even though he didn't actually have like a flashback, just him describing it. I was visualizing it in my mind. So, so yeah, yeah. last time I'll, I'll say it, but Kari Payton because mm -hmm. I was going to say, he speaks in the poetic manner. He also wrote yeah. the poetic manner. This is True. the first time yeah. we get to know that he actually did all of that. So yeah, he, <laughs> he is Calder. Every, yeah. every time forever, he's going to have yeah. to be this character. 
firing on all cylinders. All right. The last little thing I have about the Atlantis ongoings was <laughs> we mentioned um, that octopus delegate character last week. I did get confirmation that that character is Topo, who we actually saw like all the way back in either season one or season two when uh, Calder made his first visit to Atlantis. He was kind of the the one that was there working on some art um, that kind of came alongside him and like expressed a lot of joy in seeing him. Um, but he was actually voiced by James Arnold Taylor, who yes. a lot of people will recognize for his work in a lot of the animated Star Wars uh, shows as the voice of Obi-Wan. Thank you for looking that up, because I know I said specifically last week, whoever that character is, they have a notable voice, and I yes. can't tell you where it's from. So knowing that is awesome. But also, yeah. he's the voice of uh, G. Gordon Godfrey. Oh, okay. Which is another just fun world connection. Okay. He must have taken over t for Tim Curry, because I know Tim Curry was doing the voice the, at least the first couple of seasons, and he suffered a stroke. Oh, yes. So but he does a great job emulating uh, what, what Tim Curry brought to the table originally. And those are big shoes to fill. So oh, all big, credit to him. Big clown shoes. If you know what I'm saying, uh, I, I set it up and I was, <laughs> I was ashamed. I did. But thank you for I, I picking couldn't up help it. myself. I could not help <laughs> myself. Okay. Uh, we've been going for a while now, so let's tackle this yep. very impactful final scene. I will let you um, get the ball rolling. So, Obviously, we know that Superboy has been in the Phantom Zone, or what we're referring to as the Phantom Zone, for lack mm -hmm. of a better term. Uh, and we finally got to see the bus go by. We have a timeline mm -hmm. of things happening. The bus has, well, I guess we don't have a timeline because the bus travels through time. Mm -hmm. But either way, this is the moment the bus went by him right. uh, while it was doing all of its time jumps. And it was really impactful, not because we saw the bus, not because, hey, there's hope. But for the weird purpose of Lex Luthor showing up to put a hand on his shoulder and look at him, especially after he's having all these flashbacks to what life was before he, you know, came into power with Superman. He was regretting decisions, saying Superman mm. never should have trusted me, right. you know, panicking because he had that flash last episode of him potentially killing Superman. So now he feels like he's killed his brother and then to have his other father show up the evil part of him inside his clone body right i don't know what it means like yeah. i, I want to speculate but i literally can't i don't know if you have any thoughts on that matter you know i i wish i did but uh i really don't but I, i'm i'm of the same mind as you it was just after seeing you know him just kind of like journey across this this uh, purgatory this kind of realm between realms for lack of a better term yeah just it was really it was really dark stuff just yeah we, it's something we didn't bring up on our, our coverage of the last three episodes but he did have that um, vision was which was reenacted in this episode where he saw himself as I, I can't remember the name of the character that's basically the bizarro version of him uh, but he saw himself as that character snapping Superman's neck. So that has to be something that's coming from within because we know outside of that, that swimming creature that was attacking him and, and acting on his, his rage, 
all of these things are manifestations of what he has going on inside of him. So even though it seems like, you know, he's spent so much time with McGann and, and had a happy life there, the fact that Lex Luthor is still somewhat of a, a father figure to him, it speaks volumes about some of the things he's been shouldering and, and some of the burdens he's been carrying. But in terms of what red sun means, I, I'm trying to recall when, because this is not the first time we've heard red sun in the show, right? Lex Luthor said it to him previously. Yeah. It may have been a trigger word into okay. some kind of clone hypnosis. I do know, cause I watched with subtitles, it's red sun, like the sun in the sky, not red, like my son. Right. Which I do know red suns are what gives Superman his power in terms of comics. That's why he's so powerful on Earth is because we're close to a red sun, if I'm not mistaken. For sure. Yeah. So it could be something along those lines. And I do wonder if this gives, I don't want to say more credence to our thoughts about, you know, this zone being something to do with his cloning process and the geomorphs, mm. but it could potentially be his clone roots coming back up. Because like oh, he's, okay. he's half Superman's DNA and half Lex Luthor's DNA. So True. it could have something to do with the Lex part of him taking over in whatever realm the cloning process has put him in. Mm. I, 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 I like that thought. Describe that. But, no, um, I, yeah, I like that no, thought. No, no, I just, uh, it, you do have me thinking like, even though we're unclear of whether or not he has actually died, maybe a part of him has died and that Lex Luthor side of him is, is kind of having to come out in order to keep him alive in some regard. Now this could also literally be Lex Luthor staring at a clone tank with another version of him in it. And he's waking up the other version and suddenly he's going to come hurtling back. Ooh, that's, that's gripping stuff right there. This Uh, is all theorizing and i yeah. will use this as a way to transfer into another theory real quickly before you do that i did just want to make mention that um even with my limited comics knowledge i do know that red sun is a reference to superman red sun which was an arc where we saw a, a different version of superman if he had been raised in the in the soviet era uh russia so interesting anyway, yes I know yeah, they made so, an animated film about it as well. Yes. One I actually haven't had the chance to watch. So maybe okay. that'll be something we talk about if it pertains. Sure. Yeah, definitely. No. So I was going to use this as a transition to last week. We talked about uh, the first letter of every episode spelling yes. out yes. some sort of thing. And we got invitation to knee. Jay Scotty and I both immediately went to Neil because I right. couldn't think of anything that involved kneecaps. Uh, <laughs> Jay Scotty, did you have any thoughts on what this could be with our remaining nine letters now that we have Neil totally out there? Uh, so if there are nine letters left, but the word before has six letters in it yep. and then God has three letters in it. So I'm just, it, correct me if I'm stealing your thunder because this is this is your your realm here. You're the one that pays attention to this stuff better than I do. But <laughs> Neil, before God, just given the conversation we had on our first episode back into season four with Violet talking about she had encountered a God before and Gabrielle's mother being able to tell her like granny goodness does not actually sound like God. That's like a self-proclaimed God who's not actually a God. Right. Dark side. Yeah, it could be any of these gods. Yeah. So you're right on the money with my first one that I have written here. 
Okay. And then I remembered there's a notable Superman character named Zod. Ooh. So it could just as easily be Neil before Zod. Ooh, and I like that. The transition point of why I said, hey, this is a great time to talk about it. Lex also has three letters. Could be Ooh. as simple as Neil before Lex if we're talking about Superboy being taken over by Lex as an evil version of himself. As simple as, you know, back in front of Lex Luthor. I like all three of those theories, but the one that I'm really enjoying is Zod because. Yes. Yeah, Zod was banished to the Phantom Zone, as as we've seen in the various iterations. Um, that's basically how he survived the destruction of Krypton in the first place. What if Zod gets him out of the Phantom Zone? Ooh. That, oh, we may have found something. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, now I just want to throw out all the rest of my ideas. Yeah, what you got? <laughs> no, I meant throw them away. <laughs> 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 no, I also I realized at one point I could just start coming up with characters with different like numbers of letters. Mm. So I had to give up at some point. I came up with the best ones that were relevant. Okay, uh, Neil for Desaad because we saw Desaad. I believe he was the one that gave Magan's brother the bomb in the first place. Correct. Yes. So Desaad could come back. Uh, Neil for Savage fits. Obviously, Ooh. Vandal Savage is a big deal. And then okay. these two are just much more general, and they could be throwing us in this direction. Neil at his or at her feet. Oh. It could be wow. any him or her. Nice. As well as just Neil and Grief. There's been so much talk about grief, so much talk about loss oh. in this season. It could be as simple as, hey, slow down and stop, smell the roses, and grieve for what you need to. Because we mm. also have this little kind of the final credit conversation again gets back into how they're handling the loss of their compatriots. Mm. You, you continue to impress me with your insight and, and uh, thoughts there. Uh, and I'm glad you didn't throw those out, like discard them. I'm glad you threw them out there on the air <laughs> for us to listen to, because yeah, I, I like all of those as well. I'm still kind of, I'm really liking that Zod one, but I think all of those are, are very poignant and, um, Especially the the Neil and Grieve, you know, given the the through lines that we've had, um, especially in the last few episodes, that would be very, very heartfelt. But yeah, yeah. yeah. Before we wrap up, um, did have one other point, just as we talked about that little last scene, and this is just transitioning into what's happening in the future here. Uh, We know that there's another arc about to start. I have not heard whether or not it's going to be Dick Grayson's Nightwing or Rocket. Oh, don't know who's next. But there's been a bit of a focus this season on mentioning all of the characters, not just Superboy, who have passed. Right. Including one Robin, Jason Todd. Correct. As we gear up for the Nightwing arc, uh, there is just the question that I want to throw out there to any of our fans, just as we start to think about it. I'm wondering if they're going to keep the same jason todd arc that we've seen the same reason that he passed on because it seems like he was with the team which mm-hmm. in all comic and all animated in every form of media where we've ever seen jason todd he's only been at batman's side when right. that happens so i want to know more of this relationship was he deep into the team was the team there when the event happened and what this means. And I hope we get to explore it in the Nightwing arc, but it just Mm. keeps coming up enough and enough. I kind of wanted to 
prep the thought, hoping that we get the Nightwing arc next, because I'm just really excited for that. Anyone who's a longtime listener knows he is my favorite character alongside Batman. Mm. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to also talk about that because it's fun. Yeah, I, I, as you kind of break it down like that, I kind of hope it goes in that direction when you first started talking about the other characters that were out there. I, it, Rocket is a character that I would love to know more about, and I kind of hope they could retroactively do what they did for Zan- Zatanna with Rocket, and we could get her story a little bit uh, more fleshed out and whatnot. But, you know, given some of the things we saw in season three and even earlier in the season, like with the little glimpses of... Um, jade and and what she has going on with the league of shadows and it seems like raish or razagul what have you um does not have the league of shadows under his control like he once did we did always have those flashes of that ninja character with the red hood so right that seems like too big of an easter egg to like put there and not do anything with yeah, and I mean, we talked at length about them completely changing Oracle and Batgirl's mm. backstory for this show. They right. could do it again with Jason Todd, and totally. I'd be very, very happy Yeah, because we've gotten a little beaten over the head with that specific story sure. in the past, like, 10 years. So I, yeah. I would like a change, but I hope they're not just making it an Easter egg. I really hope it does matter. Yeah, it would it would be nice to have a fresh take on that story that's not just surface level like not to throw too much shade at at batman arkham knight because it was a great game but i remember in the oh yeah i guess i should i should say spoiler warning for arkham knight but it's yeah i was just giving you the eyebrows because that is my favorite game in the series oh okay interesting okay be careful with what you say here okay it was just it was just the way the developers like all the way leading up to they were like no this is an original character this is an original character and it turned out Spoilers again, the Arkham Knight was Jason Todd. Yeah, which is it's, it. it's good, but I agree. Give us something yeah. new. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. Okay, uh, we're getting close to an hour mark here, so that just shows how high we were on this episode. It was only a 25-minute episode, but we, we had lots to discuss, lots to speculate. Um, I appreciate you being here with me, Andrew. Did you have any other final thoughts before we wrap up here? No, I'm excited for what's coming next in Young Justice, whether it's Rocket or Nightwing. Like I said, it's such a good show. So yeah. good. Yeah, likewise. And hopefully we can have, you know, Zuhair uh, return sooner rather than later. But in the meantime, thank you so much for listening. Thanks for all the feedback we get. Uh, again, I will encourage you, if you like what we're doing here, um, share share our show with your friends if you think they would appreciate this insight and passion for animated content. It is an excellent time to be a fan of animated content. And if you'd like to give us a review, that is tremendous for our growth and we certainly would appreciate it. So um, that's it for me this week. I'm Jay Scotty St. Clair, joined by the always insightful Andrew Rogers. Thanks so much for tuning in. That's T-O-O-N-I-N. Until next week, just like Lagan, muscle, muscle. <laughs> well done. Thank you for listening to the Animation Deliberation Podcast, a proud member of the Stranded Panda Network. If you would like to contact us, you can email animationdeliberationpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at animationdelib1. For this and other great shows, you can visit strandedpanda.com or join the great community that is the Stranded Panda Chat Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash svch. You're invited to take a vacation from everybody else's vacation to a place where you can explore cypress swamps and magical gardens 
and see a 65-foot waterfall that once powered an old mill that you can walk through today. Or just float along the cool, rushing waters of an old-fashioned swimming hole. See the places and plan your journey at visitmississippi.org slash outdooradventure. Mississippi. Wanderers welcome. Tune in next time, and remember, stay whelmed. When you're at Walt Disney World Resort for the world's most magical celebration, every moment is amazing and the memories last a lifetime. Because when you celebrate with us, nothing could be more magical. Stay near the magic. Book your theme park tickets and get hotel rates from $94 per night plus tax at DisneySpringsHotels.com slash 50. Rates based on availability. Blockout dates may apply. See website for details. When you need milk for Zoe and a cold brew for yourself, Kroger Delivery will get you just what you need in as little as 30 minutes. Open the Kroger app and start your cart, whatever the cart. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Delivery time's not guaranteed. Restrictions may apply. See site for details. When you're a Boost member, you get free delivery, double fuel points, and lots more. Sign up at Kroger.com slash boost.